Luke chapter 9, starting in, in verse 28. If your Bible has little subheadings, it probably says the transfiguration, kind of a big deal. It starts out in verse 28 and says, About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake... They saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He didn't really know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves, and they told no one at that time what they had seen. I'm going to start out this morning with uh, kind of this truth that it's really important how we, how we take this text. And I want you to understand this morning that we cannot understand this text apart from last week's text. We we, we can't understand um, its purpose. We can't understand what it has to teach us unless we understand it's directly linked to what Pastor Allen taught on last week with Peter's confession of Christ and all that that followed. And and we figured that out pretty early on. We figured it out in, in verse 28, right, when it says eight days after Jesus said this. That's a conjunction, right? There's a continuation of thought. And we need to ask ourselves, what does that continue? Eight days after Jesus said what, right? And it works its way all the way through the passage in verse 31. It says, Elijah and Moses are talking with Jesus about his departure. And we say, what departure? What's going on, right? And you get down to verse 35 and it says, the Father God tells Peter and James and John to listen to Jesus. Again, we need to ask, well, listen to what? What has Jesus been saying? And, and, and so all of those answers are actually found in last week's text. And so what I want to do, a little different this morning, I want to reread the text again. And this time we're going to read uh, from 18 all the way through 35 that we might get the whole picture. And then we'll begin to talk about it, okay? And so uh, Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18, says, Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others say that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, the Christ, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone, and he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. 
And then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he's got to deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet, yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. That's important. Some standing here, you've got to think about who's standing there with him. And then we get to verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone, and the disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they'd seen. I'm going to try to get through the text pretty quickly. Four things I'm going to share with you very quickly. and, And these are really purely observations. Typically, you get a little more than this from me on Sunday mornings, but I think the text just speaks for itself. So we're just going to notice what the text points out, okay? And so the first thing I I think we need to notice is that Jesus knew who would be there. When we talk about the transfiguration, we talk about the Mount of Transfiguration, it's really important for us to to see that Jesus knew who was going to be there, right? I, I don't want you to miss this because this is actually a big deal to Luke. We have to remember who's, who's writing. Remember, uh, Luke is writing to a guy named Theophilus so that Theophilus might know the certainty of the things that he has been taught, that he's been told about Jesus being the Son of God and the Savior of mankind, right? That, 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 that's the story. And so this whole story, this whole gospel, and remember, this is just part one. Acts is actually part two. This, this whole story is written to prove to Theophilus uh, what God has already proved to Luke through Luke's detailed research, which is that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, okay? That's, that's why this is being written. We can't forget that. I mean, it, it's easy for us for the trees. We get into Luke chapter 9. We've been at it all year. It's easy to forget why this is written. We can't forget that. And so these little details are of great importance to Luke because the whole reason he includes them is because the purpose of his writing is to prove to Theophilus that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the purpose. We've always got to go back to the purpose. And so Luke adds this little detail. It definitely doesn't go unnoticed. He, he, he says in verse 27, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. And then about eight days later, Jesus goes up on a mountain with Peter, James, and John. Right? He goes up on a mountain with Peter, James, and John. Now, following Peter's confession of Jesus as Christ, Jesus explains exactly what that means. He, he says what that, that's going to entail. Suffering, rejection, death, and resurrection. 
He explains what it's going to mean for the disciples uh, that he is Christ, right? That, that they're going to have to daily deny themselves. They're going to have to follow him. They're going to have to uh, die to themselves. And then he says, but it's going to be worth it. And some of you standing here that are breathing right now, are, I'm going to give you a glimpse of how worth it it's going to be before you die. I'm going to give you a glimpse. Some of you that are standing here right now. And amongst that crowd, of course, is Peter, James, and John. And so Luke says, and eight days later, Jesus goes up on a mountain with Peter, James, and John. See, verse 27 is proof that there's something different about Jesus. Jesus knew that Peter, James, and John were about to see him in all of his glory. Luke is saying to Theophilus, I want you to see this. Jesus isn't surprised. Ever need to be reminded of that in life? (laughs) Ever felt that way? Like, (laughs) you just think... That something happened and it just knocked God off his rocker. Like he was shocked, right? Jesus isn't surprised. He wasn't caught off guard by this. Rather, he knew what was going to happen and he knew who was going to be there. He's saying this is, this is further evidence that Jesus is indeed God. Okay? So just remember Luke's, Luke's uh, purpose for writing. Because it plays out in the, these first two points. Second thing I want you to see. Not only did Jesus know who was going to be there, they knew him. They, they knew him. Really interesting, right? They knew him. Look at verse 28 through 31. About eight days after Jesus had said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and they went up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure. Now, of course, Peter, James, and John knew Jesus, right? I mean, Luke just highlighted that, that God had given Peter this this great intimate knowledge of of Jesus' true identity as Christ, right? Jesus says, who do the crowds say I am? And they began to answer, well, some say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and some say one of the prophets of old. But he looks at at his, his followers, he looks at his friends, and he says, yes, but who do you say I am? Who, who do you say I am? And Peter is Peter, right? The first one out of the boat, the first one to open his mouth. I mean, Peter's just Peter. And he jumps out there with this great statement of faith. You are Christ. That's who you are. You are Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. He's, he's proclaiming. You're the answer to the Old Testament. You're, you're the revelation of God. You're the, the fullness of all that God has promised. You're the Messiah, he's saying. Right? right? I mean, this is why Jesus is like, upon this rock, my church is going to be built, right? Upon this statement of faith that indeed I am the answer, that I am the rescuer, that I am the Messiah, that I am the answer, that I'm the plan, right? And, and, and so we, we kind of know all these things are going on. And, and so Peter answers this and, and we, we rely on our parallel translations that tell us Jesus says to him, Blessed are you, Peter, because this wasn't revealed to you by man. It was revealed to you by God himself, by my Father who's in heaven, right? And, and, and so, yeah, the disciples, they know him. They have finally figured out who he really is. They finally get it, kind of. They're going to struggle here in the next little bit. They finally grasp his true identity, which remember, why is Luke writing? Because that's what he longs for Theophilus to do, is really grasp Christ's true identity. But the disciples aren't the only ones there, are they? Two other people show up. Moses and Elijah are there too, verse 31. 
And, and get this, it says they are talking with Jesus. This is, this is in verse two men, Moses and Elijah, in verse 31, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They're talking with him. They're talking with him. Listen, they know him. They're talking. With, notice there's no introductions. There are no name badges, right? It's not, oh, oh, oh hi, I'm, I'm Moses, and hey, I'm Elijah. And Jesus is like, well, yes, I'm Jesus the Messiah. Like, none of that transpires. They're, they're just hanging out. They're just having a conversation. They're just doing life together. And, and so, so immediately, the question we're supposed to ask is, we read this text that Luke intends for his authors, uh, or for his hearer to ask, that he intends for Theophilus to ask, is, is who is this Jesus? Who who is this Jesus that he knows, Moses, that he knows, Elijah, that they already have a relationship? How can this be? Of course, the only answer is the answer that John would pen, right? Is that Jesus is the word of God. He is God himself. He was there in the beginning. He's eternal God who has always been. See, the answer gets complicated because we know, according to Hebrews 11, that both Moses and Elijah were men of faith. We, we, we know that Elijah didn't even have to die. He just got to go be with God. That's pretty cool. But we know that they both believed in the promise, even though they could never see it, Hebrews 11. Even though it was a long way off. So Moses dies, Elijah just flies. And they're in the presence of God. They're in the presence of God in that place that we might label as heaven, even though we know God's going to make the earth new, and eventually that's what we're going to call heaven. They're in the presence of the one who is eternal. So when they come and they speak with Jesus now, after he's descended to earth and been here for 33 years, it's not a great surprise. It's probably more of a, hey, man, we've missed you. How are you doing? Listen. You can do this. I know you know you can do this. But what are we going to say? They know him. They know him. It's, it, it, it's a big deal. It's further proof that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. That's, a, that, that's the first two things. Luke is making a point, okay? Don't miss the point. Don't forget why the book is written. It's really, really important. Number three. I think this is just so cool. We really study our text. We walk away with this truth that Moses and Elijah knew about his plan. Moses and Elijah knew about the plan of God. Wow. Let that sink in. Okay? Verse 31, it says, They appeared in glorious splendor. Get this, talking with Jesus. And what did they talk about? They spoke about his departure. His, his departure, the word actually is exodus. Very interesting word. We'll come back to that in a second. It's pretty important. So, so they, they talk to Jesus. They're talking to They know him. And, and not only do they know him, but they know about his upcoming exodus, the one that he is about to bring to fulfillment. They know about this. That's crazy, isn't it? They're talking to Jesus about the very plan of God. Reminds me of what Paul pens in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. In verse 12, he says this, For now we can only see a reflection as in a mirror. So now we don't know. We think we know, but we don't know. Now we can just see a little bit, but then we shall see face to face. Now 
I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Listen, this is, this is a big deal. Especially if you're going through something right now. I just want you to write this down somewhere, okay? One day, we will have a better understanding of God's plan. One day. It may not be today. But one day, we're going to know the plan of God. One day, believe it or not, it's going to make sense. One day, the light bulb is going to go on. One day, that that hurt is going to turn into praise because you're going to see that God chose the better path even though it didn't feel like it at the moment. One day, it's going to be revealed how good God really is. One day, it's coming. One day, we're going to know, we're going to have a better understanding of, of, of God's plans. When we say that, we have to say this, right? God has a plan. I hope you're not out there thinking that God's flying by the seat of his pants, because he's not. God has a plan. and In fact, um, his plan is, is good, the Bible says, because God is good. It, it, it's, it's part of his character. It's who he is. God can never not be good. Did you know that? It's crazy. It means that God can never deal with you in a way that is not good. Freaks me out a little bit. I can deal with my kids in all kinds of ways that are not good. Right? I can lose my temper. I can yell. I can scream. I mean, I, 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 I can go there. But God can never do that with me. God is the definition of good. And, and when we say that God is good, and then somebody cries back, you know, because we were kind of hung out in the Christian youth group at some point, all the time. And then somebody says, all the time. And they shout back, God is good. And then we start doing, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus more than you, because uh, that's biblical. When we, when, we, when we say that God is good, I, I think what we're missing is the underlying theology behind that, what it really means. When we say God is good all the time, what we mean is that God will always do the most good for the most amount of people for the longest period of time. God is always going to do the most amount of good for the greatest amount of people for the longest period of time. That's eternity, by the way. And in Jesus, we have proof of God's good plan. God's plan for the most good, for the greatest amount of people, for the longest period of time. In Jesus, we have this fulfillment of God's good plan. And according to this text, God's good plan is a second exodus. It's a second exodus, right? It's a new exodus where where God's children are not only going to be set free from slavery to Pharaoh, but they're going to be set free from, from their slavery to sin. It's an exodus where they're not just going to cross, walk across uh, the Red Sea, but they're actually going to cross over from death into life itself. And and, and I want you to see this. This this just uh, what was the word we used Wednesday? Just warm fuzzies. This is just this. This should light you up a little bit on the inside. I want you to see this. Moses and Elijah now appear to have a personal, deep knowledge and understanding of this plan. Now it's like they get it. And so they're talking to Jesus about his upcoming exodus, about the new exodus, about the new covenant that's going to be established in his blood. Can you imagine? Right, Moses, 
The chosen man of God that led the first exodus, talking with Jesus, the Son of God, that will bring deliverance through the second exodus. Can you, can you just imagine that conversation? I just wonder, right? I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what's said. I don't know if there's like some mention of like, oh, I got it. Like, you are the Passover lamb. Like, Moses is like, duh, gosh, I was so stupid. Gosh, how did I not see it? Right? I, I, I don't know. But, but that's going on. <laughs> Moses, who, who led the first exodus, is talking to Jesus, who is about to bring to fulfillment the second exodus. Wow! It blows my mind. Then you've, you've got Elijah, right? I, I don't know what his deal is. I don't know if he's like, listen, you know, Jesus, Mount Carmel was pretty cool. I mean, God did this awesome thing, and, 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 and on Mount Carmel, he defeated all the prophets of Baal. But on Mount Calvary, you are going to defeat the devil himself. Worship. <laughs> I don't know how the conversation went down, but I do know that they seem to now have an intimate knowledge of this plan of God. And I don't know about you, but that brings me great comfort and hope. Because there are times in my flesh, I confess to you that I wonder, right? God, really, is this is the best plan, what I'm going through right now? It's the best way. Really? <laughs> like this, this struggle, it is the absolute best, is what you're telling me. There's no better way for you to do in me what you're doing right now. There's no better way. God's word, because of his character, would say, yeah, there's no better way. And one day, you'll have a better understanding of it. One day. It's a big deal. It should be a big deal for Christians. Just leaves us with this last little bit. It's this truth. God wanted the disciples to know the plan, too. Like, we shouldn't be unaware of this. This is a, a really important... God wanted Peter, James, and John to know the plan of God. He didn't want them to be left out. So, so this is what it says in verse 35. A voice came down from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Listen to what? Well, listen to what he's been saying. Well, what has he been saying, right? Again, we're just keeping it in context. Look at verse 22. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Listen to this plan, God's saying. Like, you need to know it. Because if you don't, you're not going to make it. If you don't understand that this is the way it's got to happen, you're not going to make it. So he's saying, listen to this God, God, listen to this plan of redemption. I want you to listen to Jesus here. But not just that, I also want you to listen to how this plan is going to affect your life, right? And this is the area that I think we struggle as Christians because we still don't get this. It's like, like, like in our world today with the prosperity gospel, we have this lack of understanding of the second half of God's plan. If Jesus is the Messiah and we are called to do this next part, it radically changes the way we have to think about life. And so, so, so listen to God's plan of redemption then listen to God's plan for you. Verse 23 and 24. Then he said to them, 
If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. God wants you to know his plan. He doesn't want you to be surprised that in life you're going to suffer. He doesn't want you to be shocked that um, in your flesh you're not going to want to take up your cross. He didn't want that to surprise you that following Jesus is a daily thing, uh, a hourly thing, a minute-by-minute thing. He doesn't want you to be shocked that following Jesus entails a completely different lifestyle from the one that our world would put forth and say that is important. God wants you to know this. He doesn't want you to be surprised. Yet we live in a world where it seems like so many Christians are surprised that life's not all, you know, cupcakes and sprinkles, rainbows and unicorns. It's not. But God never said it would be. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. That's what he said. And he says to his disciples, and guess what? I'm even going to give a few of you a glimpse of what it'll be like on that day. And he does. It's a big deal. So what do we do today as as modern-day believers of Jesus, almost... 2,000 years removed from uh, these events. What, what, do we, what do we do now with this text? I, I think the text still calls us to action. And so um, I, would, I would start here with, with just this little bit of application. Um, I, I think there's a strong call because of this text for us to trust in the midst of the trials that we face. To trust in the midst of the trials that we face. God has a good plan. Listen, even when life hurts, if God is good, and God is always doing the best thing for the most amount of people for the longest period of time, then I have to believe that the circumstances that I'm enduring right now are actually going to be used for my good and benefit, and more importantly, for the benefit of the kingdom of God and the glory of Christ. Got to. I've got to. When's the last time you thought about your trial like that? God, I know if there were another way, you would have done it. So I praise you, and I thank you for what you're going to do in me and in this world. I thank you for how you're going to bring glory to yourself through this hurt that I'm facing right now. God be praised. Changes things, doesn't it? Maybe that's how James can write, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials and sufferings of many kinds. It's a big deal. So I I encourage you, trust in the midst of the trials. Number two, I think this text very clearly calls us to lose ourselves in the life of Christ. You hear it over and over and over and over again. I mean, it's in every gospel. Jesus doesn't pull any punches, right? If anyone wants to gain life, he's got to lose his. 
If anyone wants to come after me, he's got to deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There is a cost to discipleship. And listen, I love you. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. But if you're struggling in your walk with Christ, maybe you need to change your alarm clock. Not trying to hurt your feelings. It's, it's, it's just accurate, right? We don't wake up magically one day and, and appear to be a great husband and father and all the things that we long in our hearts to be. We have to put in the work every single day. And the work is a work of suffocation, really, right? I, 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 mean, I mean, Paul calls us to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. And I don't know about you, I, when I think about, you know, all different ways that I could go, I mean, for me, my, my, my least favorite, the one that scares me to death would be drowning, right? I mean, like, I, that does not, because you know what it is, it's about suffocation. But you know what? The Christian life, too, is about suffocation. It is about daily choking out the desires of our flesh and choosing every single day whom we will serve. Choose this day whom you'll serve, right? That's that's the command of Joshua. We have that same command every single day. Are you going to get up? Are you going to do what it takes? Or instead, you're just going to go about your day and then later point fingers and place blame, right? So I challenge you, lose yourself in the life of Christ. And then lastly, and I'll be done, um, I think this text would, uh, has a, a strong call for us simply to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of all. Wow. The heart of why these things were written to Theophilus is so that he would be certain, um, so that he would believe, right? And, and so I just I want to throw out with you these, these two words that we use a lot in church, but I, I think it's important to understand the difference. So uh, there is a belief that does not save. If you study the book of Acts uh, and you look at Simon the sorcerer, remember, he saw and he believed in all the things he was saying. It actually uses the same word, believe, that we find kind of all over the place. So there, there, is, a, there is a kind of a faith, uh, a belief, I would say, that actually doesn't lead to salvation. It's just a belief that, you know, oh, wow, yeah, Jesus is a good person. Or, or yeah, uh, you know, G- a lot of people say, yeah, Jesus is the Son of God. Well, that's, that's awesome. I'm glad that you have that belief. But, but the Bible actually calls you into something more than just some kind of cerebral understanding that there is something bigger than you and that something bigger had a son named Jesus. The Bible calls you to rely on that cerebral understanding and to sit yourself down in an act of trust that that is indeed the absolute truth of God. And and you can't do this without God. It's impossible. God is the one that um, calls us to himself. But there is a moment of of surrender. I call it cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And and so I just say to people, listen, I I know we're in church, and I know we're in the early service, and that means everybody's saved, right? Eh, I'm not going to play it like that. I'm going to say there may be somebody here like Theophilus that has a lot of understanding about Jesus, but they don't know for certain that he is the Messiah. They don't know for certain that he is God. He is definitely not God of their life. Today, I'm going to call you from belief into trust. Today, would you rest in the certainty 
that Jesus is indeed the plan of God, the better plan of God. No, the best plan of God. Would you rest in that today? And if you're here and and you're one of those people, you've had great thoughts about Jesus. You've thought, well, maybe he is, or I think that he might be, but you've never just declared with certainty, Jesus, you are the son of God. Will you be my savior? Like, Like that could happen today. Okay, and I I just want to throw that out there for you. I'm going to pray with you. Um, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for who you are, for your identity as the Messiah and the Savior of all. We would ask that uh, by your Holy Spirit that you would move and that you would call people to yourself. While we may, um, in our flesh and by your Spirit, extend an invitation We say, Holy Spirit, right now, you are the only one that can draw anyone to Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would uh, work on the hearts of those gathered here. And if there's anyone here, like Theophilus, that is uncertain, they've been uncertain that you really are the Son of God. But this morning, they they feel that, that surety. Yes, yes, it's true. God, I pray this morning that they would just very simply ask you, ask you, just say, say, Jesus, save me. Please save me right here where I am. Simple prayer. Save me. Be my Savior. You're the Savior. Be my Savior. Take control of my life. Help me follow you. Right? Change me from the inside out. Holy Spirit, come in, into my life. Change me, please. Just let them pray that prayer in all honesty, simplicity. Lord, for those that are here that are uh, they're Christians, but they're just struggling. Maybe um, they're going through a tough time and they have really questioned your goodness. God, would you just remind us tenderly, would you minister to our hearts this morning that in the depths of our suffering and the greatest moments of our hurt, you are still good. Your mercy still endures forever. And if there were another way for you to do whatever it is you want to do in us, you would have chosen it by now. So let us rest in that completely, entirely, God, and just say that you're God. Lord, for the Christian that's here and they're struggling with that decision every day to get up and to really follow, they know it. They feel like there's another time in their life that they were higher up with you. Maybe they had a mountaintop moment, but they don't feel like they're on the mountain right now. I I pray two things over that, brother. One, I pray that you would remind them of the mountain of God. That's not a one-time moment. That's a lifetime. But two, I pray that you would call them back to those simple acts of obedience and discipline. Prayer. Bible study. Fellowship. Things that your word is just full of. God, would they choose daily to die to their selfishness and instead choose to walk in these things? Please, God, bless that in your holy and precious name.